This morning we find ourselves in James chapter 5, so let me invite you to take your Bible as we continue this series of messages we began several weeks ago, all the way back in chapter 1. We've been working our way verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, calling this everyday faith because James just goes through any number of topics and items that are part of the everyday a part of following the Lord Jesus in today's world. So I invite you now to take your listening guide if you um, printed that and take some notes. So remember, we, we make this uh, printed listening guide available. We upload it to fbcborough.church every Friday afternoon, and you can print that and bring it with you. But let me encourage you to do two things today. Number one, let me encourage you to take notes because I think you'll listen better if you take notes, and I preach better when you take notes. And so um, if you didn't have a listening guide, just use a sheet of paper or just use your, your shirt tail, just whatever you can take to uh, take notes. And second, I encourage you to keep your Bible open because we're not just going to read these six verses and just move away from them. We're going we're to camp right on top of these six verses and go through them verse by verse and, or keep your Bible app open or your tablet, whatever you have. And, and I'm reading this morning from the New King James Version. So if you have a version different than that, that's okay, no problem. Some of the words may not match exactly, but I believe you'll get the same gist of it all the same. But the version I'm reading from is the New King James Version. Starting in chapter 5, verse 1, James is talking about using your money wisely. In today's world, how can these ancient truths help you to use your money wisely? He begins in verse 1. Come now, you rich... Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. Now let me stop and say, those are encouraging words, aren't they? He finishes in verse 3 by saying, You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned... You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So James, in some pointed words, really encourages us (laughs) to make sure you're using your money wisely. If I were to ask you to think of a rich person, who comes to mind? You might be thinking of uh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon who these days is is called the richest man on the planet. Or maybe you think of uh, Arthur Blank, the the fellow who uh, co-founder of Home Depot and owns two professional teams in Atlanta, a good one and a bad one. (laughs) He owns the Atlanta United and the Atlanta Falcons. You choose which is good or bad. Or maybe when you think of a, a rich person, you think of somebody in this community. Somebody in Bullock County who has significant financial means. And for you, that's who you think of as a rich person. But I wonder, do you ever think of yourself as a rich person? I would dare say that the vast majority, if not every single one of us in this room, is 
rich and has wealth. I know oftentimes we as Christians talk about our wealth in the Lord. We have his grace and his kindness. Yes, all that's true. But also, those of us living in this part of the country, this part of the world, we have material wealth unlike so many places around the world. And the odds are almost everybody, if not everybody in this room, and those of you watching through our live stream as well, we, we have wealth most of the world is envious of. Let me ask you some questions. Do you live in a home that has clean water piped into it with an indoor plumbing system? Do you have at least one moderately reliable automobile that you can access whenever you need to? I don't think you have two and an old pickup truck, but do you at least have one moderately reliable vehicle that you can use? Do you have two changes of clothing? I don't mean do you have a spring wardrobe and a fall wardrobe, but you have two changes of clothes that you can alternate every other day if you need to. And do you have the relative certainty that you'll have access to food for the next three days? If so, you have wealth that the most of the world would love to have. Because the standard of living in the Western world, particularly in the United States, is far above so many places that we have wealth that millions and millions and millions of people around the world would love to have in their own lives. And when James writes about rich people, we've got to resist the urge to think he's talking about the Jeff Bezoses of the world and the Arthur Blanks of the world and that person in this community that has far greater financial means than you have. Compared to the world, when the Bible talks about those of you who are rich and wealthy, that means those of us living in the year 2020, by and large, who live in the United States of America. We have wealth that most of the world knows nothing of. Here's the main thing to know as James talks about using your money wisely. Phrased as a question, does God give wealth to bless us or to test us? That's an interesting question. James is going to answer it for us. Does God give us wealth? And we have wealth. But do we have wealth because God is blessing us? Or could it be that God is testing us to see if we will use it wisely and properly and generously? and biblically. And so that's an important consideration. Now James mentions several things in these six verses. The, the, the first item he mentions is the misery of money. Now it sounds like he's just on a doom and gloom parade, but he lets you know there, there can be great misery in wealth and possessions. Uh, he says in verse 1, Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, those are two visceral terms when it says you need to weep and howl. That word howl is, uh, is, is not as common to us, but it, but it means to wail. Some translations use the term weep and wail. It was used to people who were under the great condemnation of God. They would cry out. They would wail. They would howl. It, I was tempted this week to put into my sermon a group howl. Everybody would howl together. But I was afraid some of y'all would holler, go dogs, or hail southern instead, or, or in a brief moment of weakness, you might holler, war eagle. You know, we would want that. 
but howling out. But he says, when you have wealth and riches, you, you weep and howl for your miseries that are coming. Now, now some people think, well, if, uh, if I had some riches, I, I wouldn't be miserable. I'd be happier. Well, according to the Bible, not so. If you're not happy with a little, you won't be happy with a lot. Weep and howl for your riches. Just look at the lives of those who've gotten those financial windfalls from the lottery. Most people have had those conversations, you know, if, if you were to win $100 million, what would you do with it? And back and forth, back and forth, I'd do this, I'd do that. But look at what happens to the lives of people who win those $20 million and $100 million, $200 million. I was reading an article this week in preparation for this message that noted that the rates of bankruptcy, the rates of attempted suicide, the rates of depression and divorce are far higher in those who've had those financial windfalls than those who have not. One gentleman in the article who'd won only a paltry $20 million, he didn't win the $80 million or the $200, he'd only won $20 million. He said he wishes he had torn that lottery ticket up because it made his life miserable. James says, be careful you who have wealth. There's a misery in it. And, and the misery is caused, let me listen, three things he mentions, what causes the misery of money. First, because our, our possessions and wealth are tempting to us. They tempt us to do things we wouldn't normally do, live lives we normally wouldn't live. They tempt us to change our priorities and get everything out of sorts. And so wealth and possessions are tempting to us. That's why Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter, uh, chapter 19 he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man into the kingdom of God. It doesn't say it's impossible, but it's difficult because your riches and your possessions change your priorities, and often it's difficult because wealth is tempting. That's why the rich young ruler, when he went to Jesus and heard, when Jesus said, you must give everything away and come follow me, the rich young ruler went away sad because the scripture says he had very much. Possessions and wealth are, are, are tempting to us. They often make us take our eyes off God. That, that's the reason in affluent societies, oftentimes faith is minimized. Possessions are tempting. A second reason James talks, talks, touches on is because possessions and wealth are temporary. The misery of wealth is that it's only temporary. It will not last. You're not taking it with you to eternity. And if you're not careful, what's here today will be gone tomorrow. He mentions verse 2, that your riches are corrupt. They're not going to last. That's an agricultural phrase. You really don't pick up that sense in the English translation. But he's talking about your riches. If you measure your riches in land and produce and in the ancient world by having lands and grain, that was a sign of wealth. He said they're, they're corrupted. They're going to be spoiled. They're going to, they're going to rot. And then your garments, if you measure your wealth by garments, in the ancient world, the rich people wore flowing, colorful garments. Uh, people today, let, hey, we're in church, can we be honest? People today display their wealth sometimes by their garments, certain brands, certain styles, let's be honest. But he says, if you're displaying your wealth by your garments, they're really going to be moth-eaten. 
And then your gold, verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded. They're going to rust. Now, I know gold doesn't actually rust, but James is making the point that you put so much faith in your gold, even that which you think is not perishable will perish. It's temporary. That's why Jesus, when uh, he was giving the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 6, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now remember, James is the younger brother of Jesus, and he never quotes Jesus word for word. And the book of James was written two or three decades before the Gospels were written that kind of record the sayings of Jesus. But James will often make reference to the teachings of Jesus. And here's a perfect example. Surely as James was talking about your garments being moth-eaten and your gold corroding, he was remembering how Jesus said, make sure you don't lay up your treasures where, where moth will, will, the moth breaking and still uh, rust. You, you see the quote on, on the screen there. <laughs> it's temporary. What you think is going to last forever is going to spoil, eaten by moths, and it's going to rust and corrode away. The misery of money, it's tempting and temporary. And the third thing James says, it is telling. Money can be miserable because it reveals more about you than you wish it would. Money is very telling. It'll show your priorities. It will show what's important. It will really tell, reveal what's in your heart. Didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? Wherever your money, your possession, your wealth in, it will reveal what is inside your heart. Now, oftentimes people will, I trust, honestly uh, quote this incorrectly. <laughs> Many times people say, well, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. No! Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Your treasure, your wealth, your possessions are telling. They reveal what the motivation of your heart really is. Let me share a story out of my own life where God taught me this. Uh, I used to be embarrassed of it, but now I use it to, to... help embarrass you (laughs) as a teaching point. I've told this story before, but many of you come into our church since I've shared this story. So let me tell it again. Many of you are not familiar with it. But this building which you sit, our worship center, we we entered this building about nine years ago, and uh, we had, in order to raise the money, we did lots of capital campaigns, people giving gifts, making pledges. And by God's good grace and your generosity, we feel like if you'll keep on being generous, We'll have this completely paid for within the next 12 months, and we're glad about that. But when we started building this, we really wondered, that's a lot of money, you know, even in Bullock County. And and so we asked people to make pledges and give gifts of cash, give gifts of uh, uh, stocks and bonds, give, you know, give small children, pints of blood, whatever you have, just give, give. And so we did. And, And during one of those campaigns, I sensed the Lord leading me to give as a gift, an in kind gift my Honda Goldwing. I thought, I don't know about that. I mean, it was a, my wife, we didn't buy it new, but she she bought it for my 40th birthday. 
I mean, it was cherry red. It had a reclining leather seat, air-cushioned ride. I mean, uh, unlike a Harley, it didn't drip oil and shake you to death. <laughs> Some of you Harley riders, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, it looked good, and when I rode it, I looked good. Had matching helmets and the communication system. I mean, I mean, I was, we'd zip around the, the roads. It was great. And, but I sensed God leading me to say, give that. But, I, you know, I thought, well, we got so many people in our church. What's that one gift going to do? It, you know, it, it wasn't worth a super amount of money. And so I decided, let's just wait and see. And I, I didn't do it. And we did our three-year campaign, and we're still trying to, how can we get to the point and then the next campaign came around, and guess who came knocking on my door? It's the Holy Spirit again. Has the Holy Spirit come knocking on your door more than once? <laughs> he came knocking on the door of my heart again. He said, John, as you do this next campaign, I want you to give your Honda Goldwing as a gift. And I realized, yes, Lord. And so we had, we, it was paid for. We got the title, signed it over, gave it to the church. They sold it, got the cash, and and some of y'all are sitting in the two pews that my Honda Goldwing bought. <laughs> so sit carefully. But you don't look as good in those pews as I did on top of that Goldwing, I tell you what. <laughs> and you know, I don't know that my Honda Goldwing gift was a make or break gift for this building. God Almighty didn't need for me to give him my Honda Goldwing. <laughs> Our church capital campaign didn't need for me to give my Honda Goldwing, but I needed, I needed to be able to give my Honda Goldwing. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. And if you have some possession, for you it might be a vacation home, it might be a convertible, it might be a Harley. If you have a possession that you can't give away, you don't own it. It owns you. And God taught me through his, the conviction of this Holy Spirit that my possessions were very telling. It revealed something in my heart because my refusal to give it away. So there's a misery in money. It's tempting, it's temporary, and it's very telling. Then James, in the spirit of, of curmudgeonry, as it seems, he talks about the misuse of money. Not only is there misery, but you can misuse it. And that's going to get better at the end, but he talks about how you misuse it in verses 4 and 5. You still have your Bible open, I hope? In verse 4, he says, we misuse money when we earn it wrongly. When we earn our money wrongly, we're misusing it. In verse 4, he says, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. <laughs> you, you've earned this, this money wrong, and people are crying out. And the cries of the reapers have even reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. That's a strange, unfamiliar word. It really means the Lord of, of the heavenly armies, the, the Lord of hosts. The, the Lord of, of, of the Almighty Lord. It's, not, it's one thing to, for the, the workers to cry out, but the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, hears the cries as well. You may cheat some workers, but you'll never cheat God, earning it wrongly. Now, some of y'all here this morning say, I've never cheated anybody like that. 
I mow my own fields. <laughs> I do my own work. I, I, I never frauded somebody. But in today's application, if somebody, if your employer pays you to a certain job, but you do it half-heartedly, you've earned your money wrongly. I actually said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> if you will pad your expense report, you're earning your money wrongly. If you don't work with the strongest worth ethic, even though no one ever praises you or neck recognizes you, but you take that paycheck every two weeks or once a month, you're earning it wrongly if you're not serving and working as you ought to. So be careful that you don't earn your money wrongly. Then the, verse 5 tells us we misuse it when we spend it wrongly. In verse 5, he says, You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You've lived on your earth with pleasure and luxury. Just The word pleasure means wanton sinfulness. If it feels good, if you wanted it, just spend your life doing it in wanton pleasure and luxury, self-indulgence. Indulge yourself. Take care of you. Just indulge yourself. Sinfulness and self-indulgence. Boy, don't you see that around the world today? I wonder if James took a peek of the year 2020, <laughs> if he said, you know, I, he may have said, I thought those folks way back then were living in pleasure and luxury. Look at the way folks today are living in luxury and self-indulgence, so much so you fattened your hearts. His reference there is like at a, at a sacrifice. You fatten a turkey for the sacrifice of Thanksgiving. <laughs> you fatten a calf before it's slaughtered. He says your pleasure and wantonness and self-indulgence, it's as if you have fattened your heart headed towards slaughter and sacrifice. That's how bad it is. And we look around the world today, and boy, we have indulged ourselves, haven't we? In consumerism and materialism, it makes us wonder if we think God has given money not to test us, but just to bless us. <laughs> Douglas Moo is a great Bible scholar, Bible teacher, uh, seminary professor. In his writings about James, he says in this passage, in the Western world, where amassing material wealth is not only condoned but admired, we Christians need to ask ourselves seriously, when do we have too much? Wow. When you read the scriptures about not living lives of pleasure and luxury, are we going to have the hard conversation with ourselves? And the hardest conversation you'll ever have is one you have with yourself. <laughs> Do we have too much? How much is enough? We got houses and closets and attics and garages, but then we got to rent storage bins. We got to do this, and we just got so much. And the question Douglas Moo asks is, when do we biblically begin to ask? When do we have? We simply have just too much. There's really, for a believer, three ways to live. You can live above your means. That's done all the time. You see that referenced here in, in these verses, living above your means. That evidences itself uh, very easily when uh, you see just the level of consumer credit card debt in the nation today. I don't mean for houses and cars, just like your Visa card, your MasterCard. The average hovers between eight dollars and $10,000 per household on Visa, MasterCard, just your consumer credit cards. Now, there's two groups of people here this morning. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wow, how in the world can somebody have almost $10,000 in 
credit card debt. Others of you are thinking, wow, I wish that I only had a mere $10,000 of credit card debt. I understand. But often, and I can't, you can't paint with a wide brush everybody the same, but oftentimes for believers, that shows that we're living above our means. A second way to live is to live within your means. Imagine that as an act of stewardship and faithfulness of the Lord that we, we do without so we can live within our means as an example of our trust and faithfulness to the Lord. And a third way to live is when you live below your means. I know of folks who purposefully live below their means and their main motivation is so that it frees up resources that they can invest in missions and missionaries, God's kingdom, advancing the gospel around the world. They live below their means so then they can invest in eternal gospel-minded work. Three ways we can live, driven by the question that Douglas Moo asks, do we have too much? So James talks about the, the misery of money and the misuse of money, but he also touches on the ministry of money, the good things that can be done when we're faithful stewards of what God has entrusted us. And remember, does He give us our wealth to bless us or to test us? He touches on that in verses 6 and in verse 3. In verse 6, he has the phrase here that says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. Now we read that, we have to think, what in the world is he talking about there? Like many of you when you listen to my sermons, what in the world is he talking about there? And what, what he's really trying to emphasize is that because you have lived in luxury, he says to them, because you've lived in self-indulgence and you've fattened your own heart like you're headed to the slaughter, those who are just, God's people, the righteous God's people, people that needed to be helped, people that need to be encouraged, they've been harmed, they've been condemned as if you have murdered them and they didn't even resist you. You see that, verse, verse uh, 6? They didn't resent your wealth. They didn't resist your possessions. They weren't angry at you, but because you kept it all to yourself, you have harmed the just people. You've harmed your brothers and sisters in Christ who you could have helped with the ministry of money, given to a larger purpose beyond yourself. He touches on the same nerve in verse uh, 3. The end of verse 3, he says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. We're living in the last days. That means the, the next big event we're waiting for is the Lord Jesus to come back. So these are the last days. But he says, in these last days, instead of using your wealth to, to send the gospel forward, to, to equip missionaries to go forward, or to help the, the hungry and the homeless and the poor, instead of helping your brothers and sisters in Christ, you've heaped it up to yourself. You've hoarded it to yourself. Even while we're living in the last days. And don't you know, it's all going to be moth-eaten and rusted at the end. And he says, you need to be using what God has given you for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, let me finish my message by sharing a teaching model that we've used often here at First Baptist that shows how you can give and connect your giving to a larger purpose. We call it the giving ladder, and it encourages folks to be a part of, of something greater than yourself. And there's five steps to the giving ladder. And the first step is to become a first-time giver. 
A lot of times people don't realize that our church has no means of support other than the gifts that people give. We have about 900 families that give each year. So if you've never given, we invite you to take that first step to be a first-time giver. We thank you for that, and, and we're, we're glad for you to be a, be a part of what the Lord is doing here. But it, it doesn't end there. Your next step is then to be uh, an occasional giver. That's when you give when you can and what you can. When you realize you don't want to be just one and done, you want to give when you can, what you can. we got lots of people that are occasional givers. They just give what they can, when they can. We thank you for that. But it doesn't end there. The next step up the ladder is to be an intentional giver. That's when you give a set amount on a set schedule. It might be once a week, once a month, once a quarter, but you're no longer when I can, what I can, but a set amount on a set schedule. But it doesn't end there. The next step of the giving ladder is to be a tithing giver. In the Bible, it talks about the discipline of tithing. A tithe was one-tenth, a, a 10% gift. Many times in the Scriptures, it was giving 10% of your livestock, 10% of your harvest, 10% of your crops. In, in today's application, it would be just whatever income God gives to you, give 10% back to Him. Not that it's mandatory or obligatory, but as a, a discipline of grace and a discipline showing your worship and trust in God. You should know that all the ministers in our church have committed in their families to practice the discipline of tithing. You should also know that our, our men and their families who serve as our deacons, all of your deacons who serve here have committed to the discipline of tithing. And if you're an intentional giver, giving a set amount on a set schedule, do the math, you may be closer to the 10% than you even realize. Have you ever put pencil to paper to see what your percentage actually is? And so practice the discipline of tithing. But it doesn't end there. <laughs> the next step up the ladder is to be an abundance giver. See, many people practice tithing. They've been given 10%. They're committed to it. For the last 20 years, they've given 10% and no more. Maybe for you, God's asking you to take another step and go beyond 10%. Is it possible to give temp beyond 10%? Yes, people do that all the time. So two questions to ask about the giving ladder. First question is, where are you on the ladder? I can't answer that for you. Our giving is confidential here. I don't know what you give unless you tell me. So where are you on the ladder? And the second question, as a part of your spiritual growth, might God be calling you to take a step up the ladder. Now, because I don't know what you give, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I want something for you. See, I know that if, if you ignore this in your life, it will be a, a damper on your spiritual growth. And maybe some folks aren't growing spiritually because there's something in your financial stewardship that you are ignoring. So, where are you on, on the ladder? And as a part of your spiritual growth, could God be asking you to take a step up the ladder? You'll have to follow his heart on that, and he'll give you wisdom to that end. Because the ministry of giving, the ministry of money, touches hearts and changes lives. Now let me ask our three final questions, our personal application questions, that I and you, all of us, need to contend with our own heart. Question number one, do I own my possessions or do they own me? 
Do you have something you just simply could not give away? Maybe it's a vacation home. Maybe it's a motorcycle. Do you have something you can't give away? Do you own your possessions or do they own you? Question number two. Do I have too much? Do I have too much? And my goal this morning is not to guilt you into anything. But as the Holy Spirit teaches and works in your life, each of us needs to ask that question, do we have too much? And what do we do about it? Question number three, am I using my money for a larger purpose? Am I hoarding it up for the last days? (laughs) Or am I trying to spend everything I've got to help advance the kingdom, send missionaries, help people hear the story of Jesus Christ? Am I giving so that my money can be used for a larger purpose for God's kingdom work? Each week, I encourage you to share your response with me. You don't have to send me your bank statements. I'm not asking for that. (laughs) But how will you respond to the truth God has taught you today? Some of you might need some change in your family, finances. But will you be faithful to do what God has called you to do? We're, We're not asking folks to walk forward during the invitation time during these days. But whatever response you're making, I'd love to encourage you in that. My email address is john at fbc-statesboro.org. That's a mouthful, but you see it on the screen. It's on the website. Nobody filters that. Nobody screens it. It all comes straight to me. Would you send me a note, a question you have, a commitment you're making, some way I can pray for you, encourage you. Maybe you have some questions about the giving ladder. Send me an email. I'll do my best to respond to every one of those personally. Or in the backs of the pews, you see that teal card called our Connect card. You can scan that code with your phone. It'll take you to an online form. You can click a button to say, I'd like to meet with a minister, a button that says, I'd like to be baptized, or maybe talk about the commitment of church membership. Or there's a place you can just type in your question. Maybe you want to respond online, or you see that at fbcborough.church as well. But as God has taught you and led you this morning, share your response, if not with me, someone else, that what you've heard today will make a difference as you live for the Lord Jesus even tomorrow. In just a moment, we're going to sing our final song, a song of commitment. So let me have the honor of praying for you before we sing this final song. Thank you, Lord, that your word is so fresh and new, and your mercies are everlasting, and that you want the best for us. So, Lord, may we remember that when you give us wealth or possessions, it's not necessarily to bless us, but rather to test us. And may we be found faithful as your spirit makes it so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this wonderful song, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you.